0: Welcome to Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by Cisco. On this podcast, we take complex tech topics and break them down for the non-tech listener with your host, Ian, Kyle, and Philip.
1: It is another edition of Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by Cisco. We are here back in the studio virtually coming to you live for another
2: episode. We got a Kyle. Kyle's looking forward to this one. Yes. I'm I'm excited. We're talking about drones today. Okay. And uh it's super topical based off everything that's happening on Mars right now. And oh by the way in our industries. Murk, murk, but you know, cool consumer product. So I'm hoping this hits a wide audience. Well, I have some
1: uh, legal questions I want to ask you regarding drones that are flying over my house and what I can do about them. So we can get to that.
2: So I, I got to start with a disclaimer. Is that what you mean? That uh, these are Kyle's opinions and only Kyle's opinions and should not be considered fact or the basis of any legal argument. Yeah. No one. This is not a. No
1: one take legal advice from our podcast. Yeah. There you go. Good. Trying to get that out there. <laughs> one of us, you know, if one of our listeners decides to shoot down a drone, do not come one back. One of our and hosts might be shooting down a drone. <laughs> yeah, just don't, don't, don't come back and say it was our fault. Because don't, don't do it, Ian. Don't do yeah. it. Depending <laughs> on <out> how today goes. <laughs> All right. So – Let's start where we always start. Let's go back to the beginning, and because I did a Google search on the first drone, and I don't believe the answer. So, Kyle, why don't you tell us when drones actually started? Well, what did you find? I'll be interested to hear what you found. What, was it
2: the balloons? 1935 was the answer I got. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's a uh, there's some credit out there that credits the first drone being incendiary balloons that were launched in the 1840s when Austria was attacking Venice. And to me, who I am I live in 2021, the best part of that story is they launched them and most of the balloons blew back on the people that launched them. So like how awful of a, an experience must that have been? But I can only imagine why people think that was the first drone. So uh, if you you know we start in the same place all the time which is putting our getting our legs under us on what what exactly we're talking about and drone is a term that's referred to used to refer to any unmanned aerial vehicle or a UAV so there's some criteria that apply to drones that don't apply to other forms of flight or devices in flight so i would say the first ones, yeah, around the nineteen mid mid nineteen hundreds, nineteen forties, they were built initially for military use for uh, battleships to test their guns, and they would put an unmanned uh, aircraft in flight and then try to shoot it down. So that's the the first real use case that came up. And again, like I said, it was it was all military. And then since then, while the military is obviously still using drone technology and UAV technology it has come a long way into both the consumer and other forms of industry but yep yeah, I, I think your Google search was probably right from the timeline okay well I think
1: what you just said is interesting too because when you say drone now you think of the little kind of remote controlled thing consumer, great product that you know photographers around the world have and you get those awesome aerial shots of golf courses and beaches and forests and all of that or that people just play with yep but five years ago when you think drone you think military device and it's crazy how that's kind of changed in our jargon almost overnight to be entirely rebranded to something that you're talking about until you said uav that my mind didn't even go to the military
2: uh, yeah, yeah, and I and I bet that's largely intentional too. That this technology exists in uh, in a way that is very uh, consumer centric, and so the conversation that you know the the marketing engine of the world wants to attach that word to something far less scary, uh, and and something that's more understandable by by the layperson. So yeah, and now now you say drone, most people think, yep, quadcopter or something you can pick up at a store and fly around your yard. I kept showing my teenage son examples of drones as I was doing, you know, my research for this. And I'm like, hey, that looks like the one you put on our roof. And hey, that looks like the one you landed in a tree. And so yeah, it's become very consumer, but like you said, Ian, there's also real practical applications that people are using it for, photography Um, you know, we can get into all the, all the other industries, but, um, they've gotten inexpensive quickly. They've become affordable. How about that? And then they went right back the other way. And there's, you know, drones that cost a couple, you know, $10,000, $15,000 that you personal ones you can buy. So they go all the way from military vehicles down to little things you can buy at the toy store. I like that you took this as a parenting lesson. Yeah. (laughs) you got to hope
1: your kids listen to our podcast because that's impressive if they do.
2: He doesn't listen to anything I say.
1: All right. So we've got military. We've got just commercial use, photography. What about delivery of like like the mail, Amazon? Is that like on the horizon? I just feel like the security risk, you know, a drone flying around the package on it just sounds. Yeah, like Parks and Rec, the grizzle bot or whatever it
2: is so that's uh, that's here Phil uh, actually you know we're all in South Carolina I think I think our uh, I think Gabby's back in South Carolina but Lexington South Carolina was one of the first places the the Amazon air or prime air uh, was piloted no intentional pun there but it's it's a good a good pun but yeah so they you know delivery mechanism are, are using drones for delivery. You're limited by battery life and weight and all those types of things. So you can get uh, a Amazon Prime Air package delivered to your doorstep. If you're within, I think it's two miles, the package is less than five pounds. Uh, you can have it delivered in, in as as quickly as 30 minutes. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, back to how Ian opened this. There's obviously concerns with any unmanned uh, aerial vehicle flying over private property, public properties. Uh, if it's you lose line of sight, then you may lose access to the device. We can get into all that kind of stuff if you guys want to. But um, I think that the technology is already here to support the actual flight and retrieval of the drone. Uh, now we've got to get to the point where it's affordable enough that you can have literally a fleet or a swarm of these things that is, it becomes less of a novelty and more of an actual way to deliver product. So, with
1: that is like with what Amazon's doing, is it a person manning the drone, or is it typing in an address and the thing automatically flies
2: there and drop it off? And on top of that, how accurate, like
1: proximity, is
2: it? Yeah, you have to uh, you have to subscribe to the service. And in order to subscribe to the service, you have to have a parcel of land that meets certain criteria, meaning you've got an X by X feet space like your driveway that's clear of trees and power lines that it can land on. Uh, but it is unmanned. It's a it's a punch in GPS coordinates. This is where you're landing. This is where your home is. And you come back to it um, and it, they're all unmanned. That's the whole, whole point in the, in the the drone technology, but by unmanned, I mean, it's unpiloted. So there isn't somebody controlling the flight and landing it and then bringing it back like a remote control uh, via remote control. It's uh, if we go back to our robotics podcast, we talked about the two different types of robots, the ones that are trains and they're on rails and they just run until they need to slow down, but they can't change the path or you have a completely autonomous one. This delivery method is an example of one of the autonomous um Robotics uh, devices. So uh, you you get the ad- give it the address. It uses all its sensors to control lift and propulsion and all that kind of stuff, and drops the package, flies on back home.
1: So you mentioned cost being a limiting vector right now. I would, and I know I, we kind of we're going to go down a wormhole here that I don't want to go down. But it feels like there should, there's some legal ramifications that also need to be resolved and maybe some data privacy concerns and some, you know, some air, like rules of flying within private spaces. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of hurdles here.
2: So that's a big topic. I'll, I'll hit some some points quickly, but. Um, the drone that you go buy from the toy store that won't fly any higher than your house, who cares? Fly that thing around all you want to, uh, crash it into trees, fly it over the fence into your neighbor's yard. Like that stuff's not regulated. It's just a toy, it's a small toy. Now, if it can get higher than, say, 400 feet, uh, if it weighs more than 250 grams, like those devices become registered aircraft. So you have to register that device with the FAA. And just like you see on any small plane at the local airport, you got those numbers, the call sign or the numbers and letters on the tail of the plane. You have that same registration ID that gets assigned to your drone and you have to put it on your drone so that if it lands somewhere else or it's flying in airspace it shouldn't be in, uh, the FAA knows exactly who it is. And then as the pilot of said device, you have to pass a test. You've got to pass a certification test in order to be able to fly that thing at that altitude and at certain distances. So there are a it's a fun search. If you haven't done it yet, there are a ton of local state laws around drones that are just crazy. Um, But they all kind of fit into categories like um, you we have to register the device. Uh, You cannot impede a first responder kind of like you can't park your car in front of a fire hydrant. It's something very similar. Like if you're using your drone to fly over the scene of a crash and you're getting in the way, there are no ramifications for a first responder knocking your drone out of the air. Well, you know, that kind of thing. So are there ramifications for a neighbor knocking the drone out of the air? That's a, the uh, short version is in that's private property, personal property, and you don't control you don't own the airspace yard. over your house. Technic- that's the biggest reason. Now again, like I said, if you've got a registered device with the FAA and you get out there and shoot it down, you just shot down an aircraft that is a federal offense and you go to big boy jail. So don't just don't mess with it. That's right. And there are definite laws against things like invading private space and voyeurism and all those things. So the person that flies it over your house, if they mean ill will, they are liable. But that doesn't that's no different than all the paparazzi that follow you around. Ian. you're not allowed to swap their phone out of their hand and smash the camera. Uh, it's their property. They're not technically bothering you. It's no different with a drone. I feel like Alec Baldwin So
0: Jacob <laughs> disagree
2: with that. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, uh, there's, some, there's some other crazy ones like, you know, we have a resident drone expert here at ScanSource, and I was touching base with him, too, just to see what's changed and what's new. Shout out to Jamal Purvis, one of our solution architects. Uh, and he said that there are uh, restrictions in national parks. So you cannot take off and land. Within a national park. Now, if you sit outside the national park, you can take off there, fly into the park, and then fly back out and land, and that's legal. So, it's it's like you said, there are lots of things happening right now with, with the regulations, the laws, the certifications, all that stuff are crazy fluid right now because of how rapidly the technology is being is evolving and being adopted. So, let's cities like I mean, you know, we're in
1: the South and it's, you know, we're not around any big cities, but let's say I'm in New York city. What are my regulations on what I can and can't do from a, yeah, it's a registered aircraft, but I can't fly it down the street. Can I? uh,
2: uh, Yes, technically. So my short answer is check the app called before you fly the letter B, the number four, the letter U, fly. And it'll tell you wherever you are, what the restrictions are uh, for not only the flight of, but what happens if you capture images from the flight. So you're not entitled necessarily to reuse the images or the video during that flight that you've captured. Um, Some of that stuff is protected. So I don't know specifically about flying drones around in New York City streets, Phil, but I'm going to refer to counsel on that one. Yeah, I I just, to me, it's like,
1: I mean, if I could, if I, you know, live in a city, it's one thing to be flying it in Ian's yard in Greenville, South Carolina. It's another to be flying it outside apartment buildings in Manhattan. You know what I mean? Like it's, it seems like there's, it's, and and like you said, since it's so state and local, it's probably different everywhere.
2: It's got to be, it's kind of crazy. So yeah, one of the, one of the interesting uh, regulations that I saw were that these drone regulations were being defined at the state level and there was specific language being used that cities and towns cannot adopt their own drawn drone laws. So, uh, while they're being set again at the federal level because of the FAA, but also at the state level, but not lower than that. So, uh, Litigious of a society, if we are as we are, I just I can imagine anybody's going to get sued over anything at this point. So, yeah, check before you fly. So, how far? I mean, like, how advanced are these things today, and
1: like, where are we going with them? I mean, like, how far can I? An expensive one. How far can I fly it?
2: You're going to ask me again about battery limitations if we keep going down this path. So I'm going to head that off. Uh, Typical flight is thirty minutes, uh, and that depends on all the all the things, uh, uh, the environment, the weight of the load, what your intent. You know, there's drone racing is a sport, so I mean, you fly a drone in a race that's going to consume battery a lot faster than just hovering and taking pictures of a wedding. So, fly time, think average thirty minutes, and, and and not really much longer than that, unless you get into like the very large unmanned aircraft, military, that's a lot longer than 30 minutes. Uh, if, you, if you Google Raven X, that's a new 80-foot aircraft with a 60-foot wingspan. It looks like a, a jet without a cockpit, and it's a drone, and it's used to launch satellites into space and then come back. That's a lot longer than 30 minutes. So, but if we're talking just about like the things you go buy at Best Buy, um, think, think 30 minutes. And then the other way to answer your question is, well, how far can I fly it? And and still have it come back to me. I mean, you can fly a long way in one direction, but you you then lose yeah, your. but you can
1: still control it.
2: Yeah, and that's one of the really that, that's one of the, the coolest technology advancements that I've seen in drones is the essentially the network connection between the controller and the drone, and so you can go up to four miles or more with a with a controlled flight on the drone. And they use all these different technologies. There's a bunch of them out there that are proper nouns. There's Occyc and Lightbridge, and you know, there's enhanced Wi-Fi. And so th- these are all adaptations of the networking technologies we've been talking about in this series for weeks. And essentially, once a drone starts its flight, it puts a digital pin, GPS pin, in its current location and considers that to be home. And then it'll fly as it's been told to fly. And if at any point it loses connection with the device that's controlling it, it will stop and backtrack until it picks that connection up, or it will go all all the way back and return to home. So that's assuming you didn't fly it into a tree or into the ocean or something along those lines along the way, in which case you have to do a physical retrieval of the device. But yeah, you can go up to miles in a single flight, in a 30 minute flight, if all you're doing is. Cruising, is that is that somewhat limited by line of sight? I mean, is there I an
1: interference and
2: in- interference? Yes, uh, that line of sight is a great term because it's uh, actually part of. It's not part of the requirements. It's one of those like strongly recommended things. That uh, as a pilot, you maintain line of sight. Um, but I mean, how are you going to maintain line of sight on something that's four miles unless you're standing on top of something and you're flying it? You know, a long way away. So anyway. But yes, the just natural environmental interference and the degradation of radio waves, like just normal atmospheric conditions are, are the things that would break down that, um, that radio connection, that network connection.
1: From a use case standpoint, we've talked about logistics. We've talked about military. We've kind of talked about consumer grade. There's a few that I wanted to get to and then some hypotheses I wanted to make. Yep, okay. So agriculture seems like a very obvious one, right? Like yep, that's we right. can go see the field with a drone instead of me having to run a tractor or whatever else. That's right. And I think like you could, that's kind of been existing with like p- planes with pesticide and everything. Yep. So now I'm going to start making some leaps here, at least in my own brain. Maybe these exist and I don't know about them, but in my head I'm making some leaps. So... Fighting forest fires. I feel like we could fly a drone and like, you know, kind of like we do with planes, but maybe they're not big enough. So that's one. I'm going to throw all these at you and you can kind of pick and choose which ones you want to acknowledge. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Two would be like people that are like lost. So like, you know, like searching for lost hikers. Like, can you put a thermal camera on one of these? Yes. And three would be. So Cisco has a team called Dirt that's uh you know kind of disaster response in the, you know if a hurricane hits, they kinda of send people out with networking equipment and all of that and kind of help obviously infrastructure is a big part of that. Could you put like a hardened rugged access point into one of these and have it be kind of part of like a remote networking solution?
2: I love that one. So I haven't seen that one yet, but uh it probably exists out there. You could the limiting factor in all of them is well, not maybe not the second one, the limiting factor in the fighting forest fires is how much weight can it carry? And water is pretty heavy. Water's dense and and heavy. Not to make a pun, but that one lost steam as I started going. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If you're fighting a fire that size, the amount of water, a a non-expensive drone could carry, uh, is very small. By the way, uh, I'm sure you've heard of firestorms before too, but a fire that large creates a tremendous amount of wind, uh, not safe flying conditions. So, probably wouldn't use it in that, but I love the second one, uh, which was the finding a lost hiker or something like that, because yeah, that, the technology is used today in oil and gas, like, so doing pipeline inspections. So, if you um, think about having to Uh, secure a oil pipeline, above ground oil pipeline, they are miles and miles and miles and hundreds of miles long. Um, That takes a lot of human power to inspect and find leaks and all those types of things. That is a real world application that's, that's being done right now is you take a drone and fly it down the pipeline with a normal camera and a thermal camera on it at the same time. So it captures both images and then can come back and report that there's a leak somewhere and... Uh, you dispatch somebody right out to it. Same thing could be used in. The- Essentially the probe droids from star Wars. Yeah. There you go. So I'm envisioning. Yeah. you got Yep. So same thing in the lost hiker scenario. You got, uh, it, it can fly a specific pa- uh, pattern and take thermal images and come back and report the thermal images. So that's assuming you don't have a real time pilot. That's, that's consuming that video uh, live as it's happening. And, and uh, I don't know about the attaching an access rugged access point to it, but that would be a cool uh, case study. Or uh, we've got to get somebody to, to try, out the, the, try it out as a use case. I guess the, the challenge then becomes, how do you power the access point? Because you drain, you drain the battery of the, the thing that's carrying it if, it's, uh, if you, don't, uh, you don't drop it in somewhere where you can plug it in. We always get to
1: security at some point with these. Can I hack a drone? I mean, I assume you can. That's a dumb question. But assuming how do we stop someone from hacking a drone and how do bad actors utilize drones?
2: Yep. To hack it, you either need to physically access it, which obviously can be done in in, in any example. And hopefully that is caught pre-flight. Uh, a takeover of a device that's in flight is largely more challenging um, because before the device leaves, whatever is controlling it, it makes a secure network, you know, point-to-point connection with that device immediately before it takes off. Now, uh, encryption is only as good as the person that developed it or the group that developed it. So hackers could obviously hack encryption and, and do some form of in-flight hostile takeover of a device like that. Super super difficult to do that not a lot of use cases i would see that happening i think what you more often you will see is that knowing how these devices get their signals you will see things used to disrupt the signal so you think military uh, if you know there's a drone that drone's being controlled by something you can disrupt that something and uh and maybe then therefore disrupt the drone. So there's a lot of technology out there like that that looks like, you know, shoulder uh, boom boxes that are doing nothing but just emitting radio noise to try to disrupt disrupt drones or, or any kind of unmanned uh, robot that's, that's um, in the area. So in the normal security sense of hacking it to get data off of it, I'd say very, very little because there's little data you'd even want unless you're just trying to get images or or video off a device. All right. Hey, I, do either of y'all have a drone? No. I don't. I mean, there's several in my yard, but I, I have not invested in one now. Ian, you should get a drone and just trust battle the bot
1: your neighbor's drone with your drone. And just maybe that's how you you need to repay that you just need to start driving your drone around his yard. I don't know who it is though. that's the problem.
2: If I knew, this would be a different story. <laughs> There's another uh, interesting adaptation of the technology being used here that I'm not going to recommend that you use in. but let's say a uh, drone physically crashes onto your property. Uh, if that person's going to retrieve it, how do they know where it is? right? So you guys are familiar with tile. Uh, the you know, little Bluetooth trackers. So uh, that's that's kind of the technology that's in use with drones. So if they don't get back to their home address, uh, the owner should have some form of GPS tracker on it. So, you know, Apple's got their AirTags and it's a little, just like a tile device, it's a little low power Bluetooth um, signal that just emits and anybody that has an Apple device that gets anywhere near that thing, the tag uses their Apple device to register the location of the tag with find my Find My device, find my iPhone. So it's, you can then locate it. Tile is good. GPS trackers, little clip-on GPS trackers are good. I guess it all depends on how expensive the drone is. So if you were to somehow legally come into possession of that drone, you could find out, Quickly, whose it is, because they would come knock on your door looking for it, I bet. So, Ian, you need to capture it. Get you a big net. I (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: it's way up there, for the record. It's like they're a couple hundred feet above the ground, but they hover over our house a lot. I don't like that. That raises a good point, though. And another use case is that, like a lot of this, ma- these mapping softwares, instead of rolling trucks nationwide, could probably do a lot of the mapping using drones. But then I feel weird because there's a drone flying over my house. So I guess it's part of just something we're going to. Oh, yeah, I mean, in our, think about our, daily lives. our parents aren't willing to give out their email address for every single thing, and our generation is, and the next generation is willing to let drones fly around in their yard for, you know, that's an expectation. So, you know, it's just not a norm for us because it's a privacy thing, but most people have given up privacy. I think so. You're just old school, and You're just behind the times.
2: Yes, so. yeah. <laughs> old soul. All right. Good work. Thanks, guys. Go buy a drone.
0: Today's interview is brought to you by Cisco WebEx. Cisco WebEx is a platform 95% of Fortune 500 companies use for their collaboration needs. Webex Meetings brings people from all over the globe together. It's like being there in person, even when you can't be. Join from any device and get HD quality audio and video, and even share your screen. From online meetings to whiteboarding to file sharing with the whole team, work progresses with Webex. It's how millions do their best teamwork. Today's interview is brought to you by Cisco Webex. Cisco Webex is a platform 95% of Fortune 500 companies use for their collaboration needs. Webex Meetings brings people from all over the globe together. It's like being there in person even when you can't be. Join from any device and get HD quality audio and video and even share your screen. From online meetings to whiteboarding to file sharing with the whole team, work progresses with Webex. It's how millions do their best teamwork.